Hello, I'm Katie Balls and welcome to a special edition of Women With Balls, sponsored by Lloyd's Banking Group. The pandemic has been a time when many of us have spent more time online than ever before, which has in turn seen a boom in online fraud. It's estimated that scam adverts have tricked almost 1 in 10 people on the biggest online platforms into paying for fake products. In 2020, almost 150,000 online fraud cases were recorded, with losses amounting to a staggering 500 million. For the scammers, they will do anything to convince you to key in your card details, from COVID vaccine scams and using celebrity clips to endorse a fake product, to tech support scams. And this problem has shown no sign of slowing down. So, it might be a good time, you'd think, to talk about the online safety bill, which may soon pass Parliament. Except, the current bill doesn't count online fraud as a type of harm when it comes to certain adverts. Here's what the Business Secretary, Kwasi Kwarteng, had to say. So, when uh, people talk about crime, they generally, I think crime uh, fraud is really, really important. But people are talking also, particularly about burglaries, about um, personal injury, about uh, physical crimes. Um, And I think in that context, uh, we're seeing uh, lower crimes. I think the Prime Minister was right. So how can these problems be solved? And could the government's online safety bill be an effective solution? With me to discuss is former Culture Secretary Nikki Morgan, former chair of the Treasury Select Committee, now a member of the House of Lords where she is chairing a new inquiry into digital fraud. Lucy Powell, the Shadow Culture Secretary for Labour, and Liz Ziegler, who is the Retail Bank Fraud and Financial Crime Director at Lloyd's Banking Group. Thank you, uh, ladies, all for joining me today. Liz, just to begin, I wondered, in your work, you're focusing on fraud. So what do these online scams look like and how widespread is the problem? So thank you for inviting me today. I mean, online scams can happen to anybody. And that's the one I want to just start with here. It can happen to anybody, any age, any background. What worries me is last year, scams rose about 71% if you take 2020 versus 2021. And that's huge. I mean, we're going from thousands of victims to hundreds of thousands of victims every year they're impacted. You know, if I give you some examples of what sorts of things people are scammed by. So it could be purchase scams. It can be, I want to buy that £100 pair of trainers. They're just a bit cheaper than I found on this website. It could be romance fraud. And those are the cases that are really heartbreaking for me every day when I look at them and I realise over two years how much somebody's just been drawn into a fraud here. And it could be somebody's life savings. So we see these things kind of come through day in, day out here. And for me, it's kind of looking at this from a kind of Lloyd's Banking Group perspective, but looking across the industry and looking across the research that UK Finance has done has just shown us how many people can become victims, as I say, day in, day out. What I thought was interesting is it's not just what impacts old people. You know, we all think that it's, it's your old granny, it's your great aunt, it's your great uncle who might become vulnerable. Actually, no, you're more likely to become a victim in your 30s than you are any other age group. Now, I'm also going to ask this panel in time whether they've actually had approaches or fallen into any of these scams, which are clearly so prevalent. But there's just first, I wondered, the technical wording used is authorised push payment fraud, known as APP fraud. Can you just explain what that is when it comes to the jargon? Yeah, sure. So an authorised push payment. So it's authorised is the key word, though, which is you yourself have made that payment. So you, for whatever reason, have chosen to make that payment. Now, unfortunately, a scam, that's because somebody has convinced you to make that payment. You might think you're getting that pair of trainers, or you might have been convinced by somebody who's told you maybe your account's at risk. Maybe you think the bank's phoned you, and you've been convinced to move your money to a safe account. Now, it's not a safe account. It's a fraudster talking to you. So that's the authorised nature. You're, you yourself are making that. And it's a push payment. You yourself have set up that payment often through your online banking, like through a faster payment. So all of a sudden you're in quite a great area when it comes to getting your money back. 
So it's one of these things that we look at it from a code that we use for the industry. There's a thing called the Contingent Reimbursement Model Code, which many of the large banks and other banks have signed up to. And it explains how you and the bank and the customer need to understand different sets of responsibilities here. And actually it sets out what the bank should do and what that customer should do to protect themselves as well. Nikki, UK Finance reported a 71% increase, as we just heard about an APP fraud during the first half of 2021. What do you think is behind that? Is that a pandemic effect or is that digital? Well, I think it's a bit of both, actually. There's no doubt that, of course, we all lived our lives massively more online and even things like just paying for goods. I mean, that we, you know, we weren't going into shops or going to restaurants. Do you remember the old days where you could have your card cloned at an ATM or, you know, you could, thought you were paying with a, with a genuine machine and then it turned out not to be? You know, of course, the fraudsters. And I think this is one of the things that the government is going to have to you know, work with financial services institutions, but particularly working with the police. The fraudsters are extremely clever. For them, this is the funding of their fraudulent criminal businesses often and therefore uh, they want to stay one step ahead so of course as we all move more into the digital world they've got to do that as well and so they absolutely use every digital means available to convince us that actually it's a genuine message that we should be giving our card details to. Lucy, I mentioned earlier comments by a certain business secretary, which uh, created some controversy of suggesting, you know, fraud didn't affect so many people. But I wondered, is this something you're picking up from your constituents and your role as an MP when it comes to APP fraud? Definitely. I think it's fraud, online fraud is something that people are experiencing, you know, very much in their everyday lives. It might not be quite as traumatic in, in many cases, although in some it is, as being burgled in your own house or, or being assaulted on the street, as, as he was comparing it to. But happening often and, and little, you know, is certainly something that people raise with, with me as constituents. I mean, fortunately, we do have some good safety nets at the moment for some of those things, if you've paid by credit card. And obviously the banks have, have got really good at this. So I've had some cases where the bank actually Lloyds and other banks have dealt with it really well and have have reimbursed people who found themselves on the wrong end of of fraud. But, I mean, there's only so long that can continue for. And, you know, as it expands and mushrooms, you know, in the end, we're all paying for that, aren't we, by by our own insurance or our own bank rates or whatever else, credit card rates and, and, and that sort of thing. So it is something that affects everybody. And I've recently found myself all foul of a, a scam online as well and you think you're incredibly savvy and you're never going to fall foul of these things and then you find that you you can do. Do you mind me asking you Lucy what that scam was? Yeah it, it wasn't one of these where you get you know I'm very wary of the ones where you get a text message or you get a, a phishing email and that kind of thing but yeah probably like half the country on the Euros final day I was googling buying an England kit for my son who was asking me for one and obviously the scammers had thought well here's an open goal so yeah I ordered and what I thought was a legitimate site an England kit a kid's England kit for 50 quid but it never arrived and when I looked at my credit card payment it was some kind of dodgy company based in Las Vegas so all the sort of red flags came and all that sort of stuff so 
you know, it can happen to anybody and 50 quid is a lot of money. Yeah, I partially fell for a text one. I got a text which looked like it was from NHS test and trace COVID saying I was a close contact. So I had to order these tests off a link. It didn't actually say I had to self-isolate, but obviously I read close contact and I didn't order the tests, but I did cancel all my plans and give up several other days of my life um, for no reason. And then I eventually went back on the link and clicked on the link the whole site being taken down because it was a fake website scamming people to buy what seemed to clearly be fake tests and I felt a little bit silly after and there were loads like that during covid weren't there a lot of the sort of buy your tests here get your vaccine early there was lots of those kind of things really did proliferate through through covid as well as we were all kind of desperately trying to get the the latest toilet roll thing or whatever it was you know early the tests or the vaccines or the toilet roll you know it was we were an open open crowd weren't we We were open market really Liz when we're looking at how this can affect women in particular and you talked about various forms of fraud one of them is obviously romance fraud action fraud says that 63 percent of victims of romance fraud are women now I know you can't go into specific cases but what is a type of an example of how that comes about yeah, I mean, let, let me bring one to life here. And we see, I mean, romance fraud again can happen to anybody. And unfortunately, I do tend to see that the values lost increase as somebody gets older. You know, and I look at our sort of age group of in their 50s and the average loss for romance fraud is, let's say, roughly sort of in, in the £8,000 range here. But let me sort of tell you, bring to life what can kind of happen. I've got a particular unfortunate story. A lady, she's in her mid-50s. She'd recently been divorced. Unfortunately, her mother had also recently died. She was lonely. No, she'd um, heard about Tinder. She went on Tinder, she met her chat. She thought, great, they talked. They talked for ages, they talked for months. They'd moved to moving to WhatsApp rather than using the online dating site. And they exchanged messages. And the chap that she met had gone to the US for work. And she got a message one day saying he'd been in an accident. And could she send money for urgent medical bills? You know, and it was £500, then it was £1,500. And it started to grow. And then she got a message, an email as it turns out, from the hospital saying, if you don't pay these bills, we're going to withhold treatment. You know, your friend could die as a result of this. And at this point, this customer is absolutely panicked. What do I do? What do I do? Now, luckily, she spoke to a friend about this because she didn't know what to do because she didn't have the money. And her friend was the one who broke the spell and said, this is not real. Have you ever met this person? And she said, well, no, I've been messaging him. And she said, this isn't real. This is a fraud. Stop it. And she came and reported it to the bank and we helped her out. But you just think, you know, that took months, absolutely months to build. And, you know, the web of deceit. And it's that deceit of that individual because at that point they're tied in. And often it's that emotional piece of this is me. I've made my own choices. And that's the bit that worries me because actually you become embarrassed to tell somebody about this. Nikki, I mentioned the inquiry that you're you're now um, leading on. Is that something you're going to be looking at? I mean, there's other research suggesting women can be particularly vulnerable. I mean, this dates back to 2010, but there was some research saying women can be less likely to spot some of the warning signs. Yeah, I think it's probably very difficult. It'd be interesting to know if there's any sort of evidence of research, actually. And I think it's difficult to say that, you know, women versus versus men. But undoubtedly, things like romance scans, it does seem to be women who are more, you know, targeted in those kinds of, of issues. And I've also heard of other scams where people will phone and pretend to be either the bank or pretend mm. to be, a, you know, a retailer. And often they will pick a time of the day when, particularly if you are perhaps juggling, you know, children coming home from school, trying to deal with, you know, the evening meal, all the rest of it. You pick up the phone and somebody says, oh, it's, you know, it's your, it's your bank. I just need to check this transaction. You know, you, you might give them some details before you've even thought about it. 
about it. So we will be looking, you know, particularly as I say, about how how the fraudsters work, the, the, the business model, and how consumers are absolutely targeted. But it's interesting, when I was an MP, I had a constituent who was caught up in a romance mm. fraud. It took a long time, she was completely devastated. I mean, as, you know, as Lucy was saying, I think victims, first as you say, Liz, victims don't want to admit often they have been uh, victims. And then they are absolutely devastated. And some people have lost you know, hundreds of thousands of pounds this constituent really wanted to talk to the police about it, an action fraud, and just couldn't really get a response. They just, you know, couldn't, wouldn't really take it on board. So that's one of the other things that we will be doing as an inquiry, is looking into why do we... And when Kwasi's comments sort of went to this, why do we think that fraud isn't really a crime? Because it's happening online? Because it involves money? Because somebody else is often paying for the damage? You know, we've got to change how we think about fraud, and really does, it is a real societal harm. Well, we know that the ONS researchers said it's now the most common form of crime, and yet, because it's not harm, physical harm, yeah. it's financial harm, it's emotional harm, we don't see it in the same way, and that's a bit that worries us mm. when we look at this and saying, actually, you know, as a bank, we help our customers out when it goes wrong, but we don't want our customers ever to become a victim. So how can you remove these perpetrators of harm to start with? Lucy, you mentioned earlier that the fact, you know, banks do have a role to play, but ultimately, especially if we're going to see fraud increasing at the rate it is, it's not going to be a sustainable situation, you know, without more action. So I wondered, what is Labour's position on this? I mentioned the online safety bill earlier on. There's been some calls, if you if you look at what the online safety bill is intended to do, is ultimately a vehicle by which is creating a new legal duty of care on digital companies to prevent use of some harmful content. But at the moment, it does seem to be missing something when it comes to scams. Yeah, as drafted originally, but let's see what the redraft of the bill, when we're expecting it in the next few weeks, comes back with. This whole area was really left out altogether in the first draft of the bill, particularly because the government didn't want to go near sort of commercial posts and commercial paid for advertising and and a lot of these scams do begin with commercial advertising so if you take that out of scope you're taking out a lot of the online scams out of scope the secretary of state's indicated recently that that will be brought back into scope of the bill which we strongly support but you know we think it could it could be toughened up further still with the big tech companies being required to take these things down looking for it themselves not just waiting for it to be reported. And we want to see the the regulator really having the kind of teeth and the the sanctions within its armoury to sort of take action when the big tech companies aren't doing it. And, And that has to bring into scope not just your sort of Facebooks and the sort of obvious ones, but as we've been hearing, online dating platforms and so on need to be within scope, which at the moment a lot of these smaller platforms won't be in scope of the bill either. So there's many different places within the the bill as it is at the moment that, that need strengthening in order for online fraud to really, and online scams to really be tackled, I think. Well, I agree. I mean, I, I think <clears throat> there's no doubt that the government is going to move on this. The question is going to be how far. And I think that the fact that the definition of legal but harmful didn't include economic harm, again, went to sort of the state of mind. Look, I mean, you know, I'll obviously put my hand up here. I, I was for nine months in charge of the, the bill as it was going through its gestation period. And I think Lucy's right about the fact that there was a sort of desire to stay away from commercial. But I think there was also an issue. And I think this is going to be a challenge for the bill, actually, as it goes through the House. Or House is, I should say, the fact that there's going to be more and more added to it. And you know, it is a really important bill. It's 
pretty well a world first. The UK is taking the lead on this, which I think is fantastic. There is a danger that you ask the bill to do so much, it never quite gets off the ground. I mean, clearly fraud has to be added, as does, I think, paid for online advertising. I suspect the government thought, no, we've got an economic crime bill coming. You know, we weren't sure if it was, now we think it is. Uh, is there going to be more there? But I think, actually, Nadine Dorries has said, no, fraud's got to be in the online safety bill, and I think that's a very good thing. Liz, how much of an issue are these adverts? I mean, when you're dealing with customers who have been affected by this, is it things they're seeing and clicking on and it's really hard to tell the difference between? It, it is and it covers all types. So I talked about purchase scams earlier, those kind of that pair of trains you want, but also the dating sites and investment sites as well. And, you know, you can look at different types of research around it, but somewhere between two-thirds, 70% of frauds we think involves at some point online content. So it could be the trigger, it could be that you filled in a form online and then somebody called you back, but it also could be based on an advert that you saw. So actually it's there. It could be somebody who then pulls together, uh, you think you've made an investment, you've got a website that then you're sent and you think you can log into it, but it looks real, it looks legitimate, it looks like it's advertising a product and maybe like your online banking login, you then log in and see what's actually a fake investment underneath it here. So for us, actually the online safety bill actually draws together for us what is the linchpin of so many of our different types of frauds into one place. And for us, it's, it is frankly about how our consumers live their lives day in, day out. I mean, I, we do have customers who work in an offline environment, but they're very few and far between in, in reality. Most people live some part of their life online. And actually, we need a way to help protect them from actually even becoming a victim to start with. Liz, from your perspective in banking, what would help in terms of how the bill could change? So we want the bill to include paid for adverts and specifically also reference fraud as part of the, the definitions in the bill. Lucy, we've seen in the past how difficult the internet is to regulate. Obviously, the online safety bill is going to be trying to add some teeth to this with these new powers, but ultimately, internet giants have often in the past found ways around this. There's the fact that you can have you know, offices in various parts of the world. So there is a chance that lots of these fraudulent adverts live on regardless. Do you think there should be more of a focus, in that case, from the government on educating consumers on how to spot scams if you're not going to be able to crack down and everything? Well, I think you need to do both. And I think, I think the issue with, with the online scams is that some of these platforms you know, are incredibly powerful. They reach millions of people very, very quickly. Things can be organically and commercially shared very, very widely. And so when you've got a very powerful app and a very powerful platform, you have to have some responsibility for how those things are shared and proliferated on your platform. So... Yes, you could you could set up a fraudulent website that was sort of trying to con people on something. But if you had no traffic taking you towards that website, it wouldn't fraud that many people. But I think the, the reason why we need this online safety bill and why we need to regulate the online platforms and in this way is because they are so incredibly powerful and able to reach so many people so quickly, which is the power of the platform, not the effectiveness of the fraudsters and the scammers, if you know what I mean. It's a sort of, it's very much the former rather than than the latter in that sense. So there used to be limiting factors, didn't there? You had to make unsolicited phone calls to try and scam somebody. And then we cracked down on whether phone numbers, you could opt out of that your phone number being available, you could screen phone numbers and so on. So we created limits around how many people fraudsters could get to quickly. And that's what we need to do with this online safety bill is, is, is really 
put some really serious limits around the effectiveness of some of these scams. I certainly agree with, with that, and I'm a you know, great supporter of the bill and everything else. I mean, going back to your question about financial education or you know, educating the consumer, I mean, of course, there's, there's more that can be done on time. And I think you know, a big government advertising campaign, we've just come through COVID when we've seen that actually if you want to change behaviours, and we can debate all of that till, you know, on another podcast, but I mean, it can be, it can be done. And I'm just always remembering how behaviours change, like wearing your seatbelts or you know, not drinking and driving. You know, it is possible, but you have to be a very focused in that advertising or awareness raising and keep going you know I was surprised the other day I was listening to something about a romance scam and the victims she said I've never I've never heard of it well you know I can understand that but equally and that's maybe the fault of everybody and not raising awareness but equally I mean there is quite a lot of noise out there now and I think you're right about wanting people to be more skeptical I mean we all have to when you get those messages on your phone that say you know it's a delivery and you think well I haven't got anything been delivered you know we, we all have have to sort of be encouraged to ask those questions to say actually this doesn't seem right you know I'm going to ignore it I'm going to report it the other thing of course is people knowing that if they do report something action is going to be taken and at the moment I think a lot of people are not convinced uh, not banks but I think in terms of reporting it to law enforcement that it's going to be followed up. Do you think there should be tougher consequences for people who help endorse some of these products which because we've seen I mean there are various examples of you know celebrity clips to endorse fake products and things and it seems strange that you could even agree to get in that situation in the first place and that's probably something that's going to have to come from government isn't it and that's unless it's public shaming well I think public shaming is definitely a part of it Um, effective I think if you're going to if you're a celebrity and you choose to back an investment or something without actually checking out and of course of course there are some people whose profiles are used fraudulently themselves so I think you've seen some celebrities who say, well, I was, you know, travelling and I saw that my name was on a poster and I've never seen this before and it's all it's all fake. So I think we should underestimate that. But absolutely, I, mean, I think, you know, if you make money out of being an influencer, it is your responsibility to make sure that what you are advertising actually is genuine. But, I mean, another point Lucy's making as well is the whole thing about the bill, about accountability. This is all about changing behaviour. It's about changing behaviour of tech companies. It's giving power to the regulators. I firmly believe that the bill should be amended if it isn't already, if we go through Parliament, to say that individual, named individuals in these tech companies have got to be accountable. You know, fines, money, penalties is, is not going to be sufficient to get the tech companies to change behaviour. Have you noticed celebrities coming up much when it's ultimately people tricked into things saying, oh, well, well this person messaged about it and or so, is that less of an issue? So probably it's interesting. So I think I'm not seeing so much endorsed by celebrities. I mean, you do see this, but you often get the people saying, I thought I might have seen something. So whether it was or was not, but it's enough to have triggered a thought process to start with here. What actually gets me day in, day out is the ones where they think it's a friend or a family member. And that's the interesting one. And we've seen, I mean, particularly in the past sort of six, 12 months, the rise of WhatsApp scams. So you think it's your son, your daughter messaging you saying, hey, mum, I haven't got any money. Can you send it to me here? And we've seen a rise of 2000% or something crazy like that in the past uh, six months of WhatsApp scams. So you see how the fraudsters evolved. So it might have been we go with celebrities, we use, we piggyback off the back of that. But now fraudsters are starting to change going, OK, well, how do I how do I look different? How do I evolve? How do I how do I be different? And the WhatsApp scams worry me because it plays on that emotional heartstrings. Because actually your son, your daughter saying, I lost my phone, here's my new phone number, I really need some money, can you send me two hundred quid please? 
actually starts playing on emotional heartstrings. And also there's debate, obviously, about whether those messaging services are going to be included within the online safety bill. Yeah. You know, that gets the heart of it. And I know there are perfectly legitimate objections to the online safety bill about you know, free expression, people should be able to swap messages without being cut down and everything else. But when you know there's a harm, and of course we've seen it in cases of terrorism and of course you know, terrible child abuse images, when you know those harmful materials are being perpetrated through messaging services, that's a huge challenge for governments. But how do you regulate that? Absolutely. And of course, search engines aren't going to be included either. So my scam of searching up, you know, an England kit or, you know, and then there are many others like that where you're, you know, legitimately searching for an item or for a service. The search engines aren't going to be included at all at the moment, which is a, you know, I can understand. I mean, you're trying to sort of address Nikki's point from earlier that you don't want a bill to be so enormous, so overreaching that it can't actually be effective in what it's trying to do. But there are some obvious gaps that will enable fraudsters and other people who want to cause, whether it's economic harm or other kinds of harm online, will be able to find those avenues if we, if we leave those avenues open. Now, we've got to the point where it's almost, I think it's fair to say that even if the legislation is redrafted, things added in, it's not going to be able to cover everything. We're talking about lots of the things which I think even if you do see the government expand it and they come into more pressure, which, which we expect, there'll be parts missing. So I wanted just to bring this discussion to a close, to go around the panel and say, well, you know, if you're an individual listening to this and perhaps you're worried about falling into one yourself or you're worried about your family, friends doing so, you know, what are the best things that people can do to prepare themselves against these various scams? Perhaps we can start with you, Liz. Sure. I mean, my message to everybody is always stop and think first. And I know it's really easy to say we're in a warm, nice, comfortable environment here, but stop, think. And if you feel uncomfortable, stop. Phone a friend, speak to a relative, do some research online, first of all, here. So, you know, you have tools that you can use as an individual to protect yourself. And particularly if somebody's pressurising you into transferring some money, it's urgent. You know, your account, your bank account's at risk. Stop, hang up, phone back the bank if you think it's the bank calling you on your own phone number here. So you can do things to help yourself in this case here. Another thing, pay by card. You know, rather than making a push payment, rather than this faster payment on your banking app here, pay by card. You know, it'll give you another level of protection also, you'll find that a, a, not all, but a number of merchants, you know, so a number of fraudsters will obviously not be able to take cards. So pay by Is that cards. because they won't take it and also the bank will therefore have more, it might flag it? Or? So, you know, it's yeah. different. So banks, I mean, we, we, we monitor every transaction. So it's whether it's a card transaction or a faster payment, we, we, we monitor them all here. But actually through the schemes and through uh, partners like Visa and MasterCard here, there are chargeback rights and there are fraud rules put around them here. Uh, there are fraud chargebacks. So, you know, pay by card, it gives you another level of protection around that one here but I kind of go back to the stop think if somebody's pressurising you don't make the payment yeah and don't be embarrassed don't exactly don't be embarrassed we're all very English aren't we about this we don't like to be wrong we don't like to say no to somebody and we don't like to upset anybody have you ever had a scam Liz? I haven't but my father has and he still tells me today. my father used to work in a bank as well and he got scammed whilst he was in the office and somebody <laughs> phoned him and he got scammed and to this day he tells that story and he said I was busy I was under pressure I was about to meet the regulator I just wanted to get the person off the phone okay and he fell for it <laughs> Lucy well I think that's all really good advice and I think you know if people are getting in touch with you however legitimately it looks I mean I would be extra cautious about it when people get in touch with you I don't like it when the banks phone me and then ask me for my part of my pin number and things like that I always just leave it unless if they need to speak to me then I can try me again another time I think definitely sort of stop and think about it and and be very 
sort of cautious about some of those things. I think that's really, really good advice. And definitely pay on, on your card if you can, because you, you do have that extra layer of, of protection if you if you do. Nikki, you get to have the final word. <laughs> I'm not sure I can top that. I mean, I certainly think about just being, asking yourself why somebody sent you this message. If it doesn't sound right, then, you know, don't act on it. I think the other thing I would just say is, still report it. Report it to your to your bank, report it to the police action fraud, because actually it's only by that are we going to build up a really accurate picture of the scale of the problem, which I think will encourage policymakers, as I say, you know, law enforcement and others to really, really, you know, crack down on this. And prevention's got to be better than cure, ultimately. And you're yet to be scammed? Well, funny, I haven't been, but actually when my mum moved house last year, in a rush, I thought I was changing her the address for her TV licence, and uh, somebody, one of those services that said, oh, if you know you pay us x amount of money it wasn't very much but you know we'll do it for you and of course that turned out to be fraudulent thank you nikki lucy let's 